This is the audio podcast with Samuel Freeman and Scott Hewitt. So it's Monday the 14th of February and this is uh, episode one of the audio podcast. Drumming the web, my name's Scott Hewitt and I am joined this evening by... Samuel Freeman, that's me, hello. Hello Sam, how are you? Um, I'm good, we're here talking via Skype to each other and... um... Well, you can hear me via my laptop microphone, but I also have a a much nicer microphone sitting beside me recording my voice, which we'll edit in immediately after the conversation. Yeah, so this is um, our, the, the first ever audio, um, first ever the audio podcast, so it's going to be a bit of a learning curve for us, but you're going to find it's going to get polished really quick, and it's going to be pretty pretty nice. Um, so let's have a think. Um, I've got a couple of news items here today. Uh First one I'd like to talk about is the um, Ardor Mix Bus release by Harrison. Have you heard anything about okay. that, Sam? Or not a lot. Ardor is something I've um, attempted to look at a number of times, but never really, never really got on with the installation process. Let's put it that way. That's definitely one place. Let, let's hold back our ranting on Ardor for a minute, just just momentarily, perhaps. But um, the um, Harrison Mix Bus, Harrison are known for their big kind of analog mixers and. What they've basically done is taken a lot of their analog mixer know-how and applied it to the digital domain. I think that's quite an interesting idea to begin with, but um, to give give this kind of bigger, more polished user interface to Ardor. Um, I, I I think like you, Sam, I've tried Ardor a couple of times and fallen out with it every single time. Um, the installation process is a little bit unique, at, I think, in attitude. But um, also the interface I find is a bit clunky. Um, have you done anything with it? or? Um. Not a lot. I mean, you know, you can talk about clunky interfaces, but you're, you can forgive things when they're free. But Ador, although it has a reputation for being free, but that's it's really a pay what you want or we'll give it you if you really want it for nothing. It, it's true. I, I think the thing that annoys me the most about it is... Um... I, I kind of started using Ardor for a bit because, because from the open source point of view, if you're working with a client or something, you can send them the mix and, you know, they, they could give a listen back onto it. And if they didn't have it, you could send them off to go and, you know, download it and do the install and that sort of stuff. But, you know, the, the new ad, the, the new approach they've taken kind of really switches it much more into a kind of, to have some of the kind of proprietary problems. Because now if you're not fortunate enough to get in at the start of the month with the free download, you have to donate something to get the download unless you build it from source. And that kind of takes away its one of its big key advantages in my mind, certainly. So I, I found that for, while it's nowhere near satisfactory, I'm kind of using things like Audacity to move, you know, kind of mixes across now. Just it, It's not good enough. It doesn't do the job well enough, but at least you can give them a couple of options for the mix. That's um, but I know lots of people do use it very successfully, and I'm sure it's a very capable digital audio workstation. But So let's focus on this analog modeling stuff that's been added in there. I think the idea of drawing attention to the mixing side of the digital process is certainly certainly a good angle. Yeah, in, in some of the dialogue they have, they, they talk about the, the main thing that they're really doing is they're, they've reapproached the diver stage and um, when they're doing the digital summing, so um, I'm saying I guess we should talk more more about that in some future kind of thing. But the idea that by varying the amount and the kinds of diver you apply at the different summative stages, you can obviously significantly change, improve, or or damage the audio quality of the signal that you're working with, which I, I think is an interesting and change. Approach. 
Definitely. I mean, change, improve, and damage is what audio processing is all about. And if you're going to be modeling analog stuff, then then the damage is what makes it, is what people like about it, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's yeah, it's a good approach. Anyway, the um, the Harrison Mix Bus is seventy nine dollars. I think for that you also you get the Harrison Mix Bus in kind of installed and set up on top of Ardor. So seventy nine dollars, you basically get Ardor plus this Mix Bus set up on top of it, which looks quite an interesting thing and definitely compares favorably price wise with a a lot of you know more proprietary kind of uh, doors door systems as well. So it's it's probably a good deal and worth looking at. We're maybe being a bit harsh because, you know, even if you paid $10 for it, it would be a bargain. So, it's, uh, Indeed. It's, um, we're maybe being momentarily harsh about this. <laughs> cool. Uh, do you, um, I've got one other piece of news, or do you have a piece of news there, Sam? Or? Um, no, not today. We're, we're, I'm, no. First one, and I've, um, I've managed to make it here on time. You know, public transport, I can't. <laughs> That's fair enough. Well, I got one other piece of it, whatever kind of cool piece of news I spotted, which is from Native Instruments. Um, I've got to confess, it's not a piece of software I've used, but I see that there's uh, Tractor 2 is being released and is available for ahead of time orders at the moment. Um, okay. It, it looks kind of cool. One thing which is, well, they, they have a kind of nice promotion video all about it, which is cool. But one thing it does do is they're using, um, when, when you see the waveform view of a sound file that you're going to mix between, obviously it's designed for DJs. They're using a color coding inside the waveforms to kind of pick out various parts. So you okay. see um, all of the low frequency bass hits are all one color and the hi-hat and claps are all colored in a different different colors as well. So you can see really easily visually what is, you know, wh what's kind of different spectrum and, and obviously what sort of sounds they're likely to be. So if you're going to be mixing things in, you can probably mix them a lot more effectively using that kind of nice visual layout. Indeed, I've always been a fan of spectrum analyzers for checking what's going on in the mix, especially when you can't trust your reference monitors or lack thereof. So, yeah, visual aids are are always very helpful. Yeah, and I guess in the kind of DJ world, it's you know they work in a lot more of a real time kind of situation as well, don't they? It's much more you know we've got to get this done and we've got a little bit of time to do it in. So it's quite an interesting, yeah, quite an interesting piece of technique they have there. So after uh, after the general news, um, some features. Uh, Sam, I believe you've got some thoughts about web audio. Well, thoughts and general ponderings. Really, it's been about a year now since the first audio APIs working with the HTML five stuff came out, and yeah, I thought it'd be. Now that everything's kind of calmed down a bit, there was a lot of rhetoric, is Flash dead, and this kind of thing talked about. And there's been a lot of developments over the past year, so I thought it'd be a good time to have a look at what's available, what it can do, what it cannot do, and what direction it might be heading in. Is What's what's your relationship to the HTML5 audio tag? I'll be honest, I'm... Um, it... Yet to begin is probably the best way of describing it. I guess I'm, I'm one of these web developers who finds that most of my clients require 10% of what HTML4 was able to do. So I don't really, you know what I mean? There's not really a lot that I'm kind of, there's a lot of things from a kind of geeky point of view that would be fun in HTML5 and the audio tags, definitely one video tag, 
you know that sort of stuff would be cool and personally I, I don't like flash for a whole variety of reasons um mainly because i'm on a mac platform so flash has never been particularly awesome on mac anyway um to be honest i don't know how good or bad it now is on the windows 7 but um the the idea of being able to bring audio into an environment onto the web seems like you know it seems a sensible thing to do and especially you know people talk about the emergence of new media and the collapse of the old school old school media you know newspapers and tv starting the struggle it makes sense that we need a more sensible way of handling video and audio on the web than what we've currently got which is generally flash engines and midi playback so yeah have you done any projects um i did one um about well several months ago last september i i spent a month learning well i did i it was a two-pronged attack i wanted to learn processing for visual things and also get into the web audio side as a kind of let's see what this can do and i went with the firefox 4 flavor which at the time was in minefield but the firefox 4 beta is now available so you can download and it all of the audio data api stuff is in there so the examples that were floating around saying oh you have to go to get the nightly build in order to run this is now a lot more accessible to a much wider audience and that lets you access the samples of the audio stream via JavaScript, which is now running a lot faster than it used to, such that it can actually handle 44.1 or higher kilohertz of sample and, number crunching. And that renders, and the audio rendering's being done inside JavaScript there, is that what you're saying? The audio rendering is being handled by the browser, which talks to your hardware, and it's done within the context of an audio tag. So an audio element is created within the HTML, and then the JavaScript manipulates that data. So if you've got a sound file being played, you can access the samples as they're played in order to either process them or visualize them. Okay. And it's the interaction or that's, you can... that's being run by JavaScript, is it? Yep, and you can, or what I was doing was going from the ground up and using JavaScript to store samples in arrays and push them through to do raw synthesis. But there is another camp. There is also the Chromium project, the Web Audio API. So the Mozilla guys have the Audio Data API, and in Chrome, there's the Web Audio API. This is a much higher level access, um, well, compared to the sample by sample stuff. Here they have a bunch of pre-compiled processing units, I suppose, that are built in to the browser. And these can be patched together within JavaScript to create signal processing networks. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, definitely so. So with there, you you get a lot more, probably a lot more power and control with what you can do. But obviously, at the at the cost of kind of complexity in terms of the user, in, in terms of the programming exactly. and developing side of it. Yeah, so you get a lot. You get less, you get lower latency and potentially quicker access, but less less nuts and bolts, less low level. Minutiae of 
degrees of control. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that that that's fair enough. I th- I think the, the issue that always strikes me here though is that are we are we in danger of swapping Flash for something else which may or may not be may or may not be better or worse at what it at, at what it does because there's been other projects things like um uh, getting pure data into the web browser. Yeah, but that was done through one of these APIs, was it not? Yeah, uh, let's. Oh, oh, well, there's been. It was inside things, Firefox, um, wasn't it? So I guess it would have been using the fire. It only worked in Firefox, so I guess they would have they would have been using the Firefox yeah. approach to, to doing that. But I guess the thing, the thing that was of interest there is that it potentially allows you to, you know, for PD developers could build things and then distribute them perhaps over through websites or onto websites, and the advantages of that kind of graphical interactive programming against. You know, against something like JavaScript or such, to you know, as as a user interface or as a programming interface as well, could be could be quite yeah. interesting. I, I guess my f- from from the point of view of a person trying to you know maybe doing this stuff, isn't it? It's all it's all possibly just a little bit too young and immature to be able to um, and undeveloped to really be able to kind of say this is the choice I'll make and I'll go in this direction because there's obviously a couple of competing exactly. directions at the moment out there, isn't there? There is, but they're not completely insular or isolated. They are. There is the um, W3 Council Audio Work Group, I think that's what it's called, something like that. Um, they have the XG Audio Group. They um, are working towards what will eventually become the specification or the recommendation. But as as we say, they're just walk, working towards that at the moment, and they have developers from both of those APIs involved with that. And in terms of having things work cross-platform right now, there is the, oh, I wish I had notes, what's it called? Sound Manager. Sound Manager 2 is a JavaScript library which will query the browser, find out what you're running, and depending on what you're in will either will use the appropriate API for playing the audio or accessing the audio and if you're not in one of the newer browsers then it will fall back to a flash player which is hidden in the background and only brought in if necessary so there is definitely a there's definitely stuff that can be done right now with a bit of which doesn't rely on specific browsers and is also a step away from reliance upon Flash. Yeah, that's interesting to see. I guess the final thing I'd like to maybe comment on into this topic is, can you, well, I can think of loads of cool things that you could potentially do with like kind of audio running in a web browser. Can you can you just imagine how many like terrible things that people would also start to do as well? So I don't know about you, but I, I already browse the internet basically on mute anyway just because of, you know, kind of raucous adverts and all this sort of stuff just hammering away in the background on stuff. And I wonder if one, by the time you've embedded the audio, you know, proper proper audio functionality in the websites as well, is it just going to become even worse? And, you know, if you're multi-tabbed, are you going to end up with all the tabs playing audio at once or just one at a time, the one you've got focus on? Will people play nice in that kind of relationship? Um, it strikes me there's probably a whole load of usage issues, issues beyond just, you know, beyond just the practical issue at the moment of the practical technical issue of you know how do we deliver this most effectively 
Indeed, and that's up to web developers' discretion, of course, which can be questionable at times. But as this becomes a more embedded feature of the web experience, it will perhaps appear within the web browser's options to be able to say, no, I don't want any of this audio stuff happening, and or I only want it in one tab at a time. In the same way that you can, although I don't suppose many people do, switch off CSS rendering. You can very easily go into view, page style, and select no style, that's on Firefox. And you will get the HTML raw without any of the style stuff. So a similar option for audio is likely to appear. Well, you can do uh, just an audio disable and that'll be it gone sort of style. Don't have to worry about it anymore. Yep. And which is something that's not possible. I mean, some browsers allow you to completely disable flash, but there are some flash elements that you want to see, but not necessarily all of them. And there are some that you will want to hear, but not necessarily. So I don't know. I think it's definitely an interesting place. It's definitely an interesting time to be. Hmm. To, to be looking in the audio stuff, yeah, I guess. I guess also I'm saying the another issue which probably isn't greatly considered yet is the kind of bandwidth requirements and storage requirements that are going to that are going to be prompted by you know more audio and more video on the web because you know those bandwidth issues are already starting to come to a fore and if you're constant if you're going to well, be rendering out loads of audio and video as well that's going to be causing even more problems, isn't it? Except that it enables you to do for the first time client side audio generation. So you can send across a script at a few k, a few hundred K perhaps, which will is capable uh, of generating audio. The... So it's you're not sending audio across the web anymore. You're sending HTML plus JavaScript or whatever else people begin to develop it in. Um, you're sending the text across essentially, which describes the audio in a in as lower level as you want. So it's it's enabling greater richness for less bandwidth, if anything. Yeah, that, that's true. It would do, isn't it? Though I guess then we'd get to, you know, we have the browser rendering walls already, and this would just be another category to add into that, wouldn't there? How well does it render the audio or not render bits of the audio? Yep. And we'd be looking for complete implementations, which may or may not be be there when it comes to, comes to use of them. But as long as it's, as long as these things are compatible, then I don't know about you, but as a web user, I will sometimes come to a page and think this doesn't look particularly good and kind of like I forgive them and say maybe it looks better in a different browser, but I'm not going to go switch my browser in order to have it look better. And I would probably approach the audio in the same way. Yeah, of course. That's cool. Yeah, that's interesting. I, that strikes me as the kind of topic that we could definitely revisit again in the future, or if anybody's listening has got any comments or anything like that, they could, um, you know, obviously get in contact with us as well about that if they want to. Um, yeah, was, uh, you could do that via the pod, uh, via the website, which is um, uh, podcast... I'm trying to think. Do you remember what the website is? Wow. You can tell it's the first one ever, can't you? <coughs> Theaudiopodcast.co.uk uh, Rescued from the mire I was there. And uh, we also have a Twitter, your a Twitter that you can follow as well. Is that that's at the audio podcast? I suppose it is indeed. Yep, <laughs> excellent stuff. You know, you can tell we're we're yet to polish all the little bits up here, but it's kind of nice and natural, I think, which is cool. But I mean, this is the audio podcast. Um, 
we're talking about audio. That's what we're going to do for the next... Well, this is one of... I think we've agreed to do 10 weeks, haven't we, as the first run? And, yep. And then have a break. <laughs> and then come back. Come back if, if, if we're still having fun. And if people uh, audio. think it's worth us coming back, I guess. Yep. Now, if, if we're having fun, we'll just keep doing it, won't we? I think that's fair. That's it. Yeah. So, <laughs> what have you brought to talk about this week, then? Well, I, I thought, um, knowing, knowing you were going to do some web audio, I thought it was, it'd be nice to have something which was on the other end of the spectrum. So I thought I would um, just talk about some of my experiences of, um, experience I had this week of using headphone amps uh, when doing some drum kit recording. Um, ah, so that's why it's called drumming on the web. I get it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, combining the two titles. Nice. I like it. Um, as part of what I do during during my week, um, I, I I teach a class um, in in a in, on a theater course, and we were talking about drum kit miking um, this week, and um, a, a methodology I used to teach it to them, and then it suddenly dawned on me while I was doing it how useful it might be for a whole load of scenarios is using headphone amps to provide the monitoring for the actual drum sounds while you're doing the microphone position on up onto the scans. Okay. Um, a couple of reasons why it's quite useful. I'm saying, first of all, we were obviously I had it rigged up through the through the mixer and ready primed for the recording, but then I found I could using a headphone amp could take a return back to the drummer, so the drummer himself could actually hear the sound with, with some with some nice clarity. But what was even better mm-hmm. though was the fact that while I was positioning the mic, rather than being in, you know, rather than being in the live the recording room and not in the live room and trying to direct the repositioning, I could actually just reposition the microphones using my ears and the headphone feed of what the microphone was actually picking up to give me the positional placement. Um, so you're not you're not there with the drum kit and the microphone and elsewhere they know what is being heard. You There's a complete loop, so from the microphone through into the studio and then back into your ears. Yeah, that's... Yeah. And and it, and it does work very well. I'm saying obviously there's a limitation with you know how good your headphones are and whether you've got in ear or over ear headphones is going to make a big difference for the low frequency response. And obviously you, you know I mean unless you're kind of making you know music for headphones, then you're going to have to refer back to the speaker, you know the the monitoring speakers before you kind of commit to the the position for a major session. But it was really useful in kind of getting the approximate position much better to kind of get the balance on the the snare kind of the the snare above mic and below mic for the actual rattle itself getting that sort of balance was very effective it also meant that um Mm. i had a because it was in in a classroom environment i had three or four students working on the working on the task at once so they could actually be individually you know positioning microphones all at the same time with this kind of constant feedback loop in place in terms of where am i you know is this position better is this position worse do i like it here do i not like it here and, you know, lots of people could do that. You know, as many people as you've got headphone amp channels can do that all at once and kind of get an approximate feel for, you know, where they where they want it to be sort of stuff. I've got a wonderful mental image of four or five people all hovering around a drum kit while somebody is actually there banging them all at once, which is which made me think, that, that made me feel happy exactly that these people... Was. And at least they were all wearing headphones, so at least their ears were a little bit protected from the proximity to all that noise, eh? <laughs> that's very true actually I hadn't thought about that yeah that's a good point I guess um, from in, in a more kind of ho- home home environment which I guess a lot of people might a lot of people who listen to us might be interested might be interested in obviously works there even better because you could use the headphone amp 
put the channel back to the drummer, put the channel back to the people recording, and then you don't have to have them play, stop, and listen back to it. You can, you know, when you're just working in a single room in a kind of home environment like that, it's probably a, it's a nice strategy as well to use in that sort of place when you don't have a, a dedicated live room and recording kind of recording room separated out. So, you, you know, it's very good. Uh, has use for home as well. Assuming, well, okay, so what, what, what would you do if you didn't have a headphone amp? How is this applicable if you're at home and you've got some microphones and you're doing a recording session and you think, you know, wouldn't it be good if we could, if we could share a mix, if we could all have headphones so that the person performing doesn't need to come across and knock the microphone stands over? You know, can, have you, off the top of your head, can you think of any, well, I guess any hacks that might work? Well, you can always use the classic lots of amps, can't you? Because essentially the headphone amp is just eight, head, you know, eight or four headphone amps in a 1U rack. And it just takes a, either one or two inputs in the back and you can put a mix between any, any number of them. So yeah. you could by all means do that using, you know, lots and lots of amplifiers, you know, just normal amplifiers or just normal headphone outs and just linking stuff together. Um, so then you could do that with uh, like even kind of tape players which are just lying around you can always do a record pause and then use the headphone output on there to give you the monitoring as well if you wanted to and um, the thing yes. to bear in mind is yep. that you're going from the mic so you would go from the mic into into the preamp obviously and then from the preamp to whatever you're recording and if you're going for a desk then you know you might use a direct out or an aux out or the main bus out for the recording so the the trick is to put all the headphone amps off another output so they're not so you're not impeding the quality of the actual recording at all. And in that case, if you've maybe got something which isn't exact, or because if you, you know, you might think, oh, I'll just bodge some cables together. So you could, you know, by all means, get a cable that has three or four headphone sockets on the end of it. And while you will lose some audio quality by doing that, you're not impacting the recording and you're just using the headphones to give you the approximate placement quicker. So it kind of, it can be a good so compromise there. Yeah always sacrifice the immediate experience in order to get the best recording you can because that's the thing that's going to last and that's well that's what you're doing so yeah excellent cool i think uh, we're having skype issues a little bit aren't we this this afternoon yeah you dropped out a bit during that but i got the gist and um at least we're at least we've got separate recordings hey <laughs> yeah bring our, bring our separate recordings back and it'll be fine it'll be uh yeah, it'd be it'd be cool. So that that was my experience of using some amps to do the um, some headphone amps for some drum kit recording technique. Um, obviously, one one big risk that is uh, you got to bear in mind is everybody's now got headphone cables hanging behind them, so it's a lot more wires to fall over and trip over and get tangled up in a mess. And that's that definitely happened. It was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> though we we did discover that it was a good idea to put the headphone amp in front of the bass drum because that's naturally kind of quite spread, kind of you know. It's a natural place where central people position. central position is spread out yeah. between sort of stuff. So I definitely recommend that as the placement rather than maybe putting it behind the drummer or something like that. So, mm -hmm. so it kind of works. It, it definitely works as a technique. So, I'd, you know, next time if you're recording some live drums, I'd recommend it as a as an option in a live setting. It also saves that repetitive banging on the drum kit, which you know I, f I find that a lot of kind of. Uh, at a lot of gigs, when you're there early, you know it's it's infuriating when the the sound check just involves the drummer pounding away on a on a snare drum for ten minutes, while it comes booming out across the you know the rig. So, I wonder in that situation where you know that kind of technique would help just to cut that time down a little bit, perhaps. I don't know. That's a, that's a 
Perhaps. That's just an opinion there. Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps, I guess. Cool. So that's a little bit of a headphone. Um, yeah. So that's my feature for today, for this week, as I said. Okay. So what do we do next? This is the first one. What do we do? Um, oh, we, 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 we had to plunder some stuff for the end. Yeah. 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 I, I got one plundered item. Yeah, I'll give you my plundered item while you set up for yours. Um, okay. This is ace. This is a really cool. Um, it's kind of a tenuously attached. It's slightly better than tenuously attached. Um, up on Vimeo, um, I found a video of the Sonic Cubes in performance. Um, Sonic cubes. cubes. Yeah, I should. I wonder if I can send you. If you do a search for Vimeo, if you go and have a look on Vimeo right now, you should get at the Sonic Cubes. Um, well. I'll I'll do that after because right now I'm um, getting up my own plunder from this morning. I've got two to choose from. Just <laughs> but the the cool thing, Sonic Cubes are a bunch of DJs. But um, what is seriously cool, they have these hats that they're wearing on their head, and they change. Um, they they like change colors. These cubes on their head, they change colors and shapes. So they have like Pac-Man and happy smiley faces and stuff all the, all the way through their performance, and it's just pretty. It's pretty cool. Um, Excellent. It, it's 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 a lot of fun. I'd recommend uh, ch checking it out. It's only a little video on the. Um, it's it's only a little video on Vimeo. It's I think it's like a, yeah, it's just over a minute long, but it is kind of cool. So, I'd, I'd recommend checking it out um, and have a look at that. The music sounds alright as well, which is nice. But uh, I just couldn't resist these like <laughs> awesome hats. So, uh, or, or they're literally boxes on their heads. It's it's just ace. I think people would love it. So that's Sonic Cubes on Vimeo. I guess you'll be able to find the link on the show notes, so you can you know. Just go and take a take a straight look at it there, but it's pretty cool. So, what, uh, what's your plundered item, Mahardi? <laughs> well, framework audio, framework radio, rather. These are phonography freaks, I suppose. Would be they're into field recording and the art of sound hunting. So they suggest that you open your ears and listen. And I think it's a weekly thing, or perhaps bi-weekly, and they invite people from around the world to make field recordings and they and then they broadcast them so it's yeah I've, i found it quite a good thing to have on when i'm when i'm working i think it's good sometimes sometimes i find listening to music when working can be distracting it can break my concentration whereas immersing yourself in some outdoor atmosphere somewhere far away is actually it can be quite enjoyable. I mean, I've this is only something I've come across recently, so I don't know a lot about it. Um, but yeah, framework radio that is cool. And what's the URL for them? Just again, um, frameworkradio.net. Frameworkradio.net. That's cool. That sounds really interesting. And is there material? Can you use the material for other things, or is it just for? Well, I I I'm not sure. I looked into that briefly this morning, um, and. It wasn't clear from the front of their webpage. It's still not immediately clear now. There are they are podcasting as well, so I don't I don't know I don't know what the status of it is. Oh, cool. And do you have to sign up for anything, or can you just kind of? Nope, it's just there. Just there and the, cool. I, no. I say stuff. I have to I have to check that out and have a look at that. That sounds kind of a kind of interesting to see. Cool. I only had one plundered item. Did you have any others or? 
Um, nope. Although I have just, I've, I've just returned to that website, and there is um, subscription buttons. So, I wonder if what I was listening to was something related, but not the same, because I didn't pay. I don't know. <laughs> Go on. You had something else to say. No, no, I was just asking if you had any <laughs> plundered items, or have we made it towards the end of this, the first ever The Audio Podcast? Well, if if we've got time for one more, I would say to search for The Cloud Chamber, which is a piece of um, piece of performance music for violin and subatomic particles. A guy called Alexis Kirk, down in Plymouth, has um, put together A Cloud Chamber, which is the name of the piece, and it, and somehow there is interaction between the audio of the violin and these particles, and these particles are then sonified through some sort of granulation patch. It's interesting, yeah. Hey, that sounds cool, and everybody loves granulation, so. A... And everybody loves subatomic particles. Yeah, violins. <laughs> we're not so endorsing here. <laughs> cool. Okay, well, Sam, it's been a pleasure. Um, it's, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Can you tell people where they can find out a little bit more about yourself? Um, I am. My name is Samuel Freeman, and I'm at Twitter at, at Samuel Freeman. Cool. And Fule. Yeah. Is there a website as well, or? Oh, you can get it through that, I suppose. But it's um, sdfphd.net is my work in progress right now. Cool. Yeah. Uh, my name's uh, Scott Hewitt. You can find me on Twitter as well at, at Scott Hewitt or also online at scotthewitt.co.uk. That's myself there. Um, it, it's been a pleasure. We'll be back next Monday. In a, in a week's time, we're aiming to go weekly here, so we'll be back next week. Um, but if you uh, want to find out more about the show or anything like that, you can have a look online at theaudiopodcast.co.uk. Do you think there's anything Woo. else? Woohoo! Is there anything else we should mention, or do you think we're there? Have we made it to the end? I, I think we've made it to the end. We we might we might edit on some open source or some Creative Commons audio. We might we might blunder something extra to close, but we've talked a long time today. Maybe maybe we'll save that for next week. Yeah, let's let's save our uh, Creative Commons music for next week and. In, instead, what we could do is, as we're talking now, we could mix on the intro music again as outro music and have it kind of start now-ish, and it could just appear out of it. Oh, isn't it? That's amazing. I'm, I'm imagining it now, but, but you guys can actually hear it. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. We, we should probably mention that uh, that the audio podcast is, you know, it is produced, actually, by an organization as well. It is on Time Production House. Cool. Well, you can find out more about them at um, otph.co.uk. So with that, uh, yeah, let's say bye and let the music carry on. Bye.